0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and & Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show.
1: The Product Startup, Episode 37. In today's episode, we learn from Ruth Stone of Boxhead Craft. Boxhead Craft is the world's only manufacturer of blank box heads for kids to design and decorate, and we look at what it takes to launch a product inspired by the popular computer game Minecraft. Hi everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, where we talk about turning ideas into successful products step by step. I'm Philip Velitza and thanks for joining me today. In the last episode, we spoke with Gavin Chrisman, the co-founder of Green and Blue, about their range of award-winning products for wildlife. So make sure to check out episode 36 if you want to hear more about how they manufacture ceramics locally and work with architects and construction companies to spread the adoption of their products and make a larger positive environmental impact. So if you're just getting started with a podcast, make sure to check out episode 10, I Have an Idea, Now What? I get into validating product ideas, basically how we can confirm that our audience exists and test to see if the product will sell. We also look into valuating an idea, why our idea is worth much, and how execution and reducing risk really adds the value. Finally, we wrap up and talk about creating prototypes on any budget, using what you have and learning how to make simple, conceptual, functional prototypes yourself. So again, make sure to check out episode 10 if you're new to the podcast and you have an idea and you really just want to get started. Let's get started with today's show. Hi, Ruth. Thanks for joining me on the show today.
2: My pleasure.
1: One of the reasons that uh, you're on the show is because I thought your product was very interesting. You created a product based on another very popular product that's out there. And normally people say uh, that you shouldn't build your house on someone else's land, but you've been able to be really successful at that. Can you share a little bit how you started BoxHead and why you've decided to go down that path?
2: Well, I mean, it's it's called BoxHead Craft. um, And if you're not already familiar with the other product or the other franchise to which it relates, it does relate loosely to Minecraft, although I think it does have other applications, as a number of parents have told me. But the main reason I decided to go down that route is because I was looking for the product and nobody else was making it. Um, I have two kids. Uh, My eldest is a Minecraft fanatic. And whenever it was a dress up day at school, world book day, go to school as your hero day, he wanted to dress up as a Minecraft character. So I thought, well, there must be, you know, someone producing box heads out there that you could color in for yourself. Because I was obviously up until midnight trying to do these things for him. um, And they were substandard by his um, his high standards. And So that's when (laughs) I thought I'll have a go and get a batch made and see if there's any uh, bite in the market.
1: So you created something for him. Did you notice that there was a demand from his other classmates or other people or did you just assume that because your son was into it that there'd be other children his age that would want to get into it?
2: It was more assumption than research, that's for sure. and it was just a, a small punt. I mean, my first batch I produced in the UK, um, and I don't know what production costs are like over there in the States, but actually they're quite high in the UK. Um, so my first batch was of 100. Um, and I thought for that, I'll just I'd just sort of um, dip my toe in the water, as it were, and see if there was any interest. Although, interestingly, the majority of those sold to mums in America.
1: Hmm, that's That's yeah. interesting.
2: Yeah, but it was largely done on on gut because obviously um, the Minecraft phenomenon is is amazing globally. Um, And when I was sort of developing the product, Microsoft hadn't bought um, Minecraft and I was trying to liaise with Mojang who um, developed the game in the first place. And um, all their official statements very much said, you know, that they actually invested their money not in merchandise, but in the game. Um, and again, if you play it or you know and who plays it, there's always new variations, new challenges, new functions within the game. Um, and so I sort of hit a, a dead end there. So I just thought I'd, I'd fly solo and um, and see how it would go from there.
1: And you're able to scale this pretty well, though. So can you talk a little bit about manufacturing in the UK? Creating the boxes is basically a packaging exercise, so it's pretty much something that everybody that's listening can probably relate to at some form because they're going to need to package their own product. Can you talk a little bit about the differences in packaging and maybe some of the intricacies in uh, selecting the right material and those types of technical things?
2: Well, actually, um, even though essentially all I'm producing is a cube with uh, five faces. The sixth obviously has to be empty because they've got to put their head in somewhere. It's not as simple as it sounds. Um, And in the very early stages, I was going to specialist box manufacturers and explaining to them that I wanted a matte, sturdy cardboard box, um, a cube shaped with specific dimensions with a grid drawn on top. And every single one I went to was unable to either understand the brief or fulfill the brief. Wow. Um, before I even got into talking quantities with any of them, they were trying to uh, shoehorn me into buying products they were already making that they would adapt rather than one from scratch. So instead of going down the manufacturing route, I actually had to enter the market using the design route, um, and I found a designer online after lots of Googling and searching who actually understood the brief and was able to make my first few prototypes um, and I played around with the dimensions and the quality of the card before I committed to my first batch with them of 100. Um, but because obviously that's a low print run, as you know, you know the smaller the quantity, the greater the cost per unit. Absolutely. And it's, it's UK manufacturing, it's quite high. So I actually, um, my first 100 were loss-leading products. And I knew that they would be because I didn't think the marketplace would pay a premium part price for a blank box, even though... Uh, Minecraft created uh, merchandise does go for well above um, other franchises, you know, like your Disney's and what have you. Sure. And I think it's partly because Mojang historically have had a very limited merchandising and licensing strategy. Um, and I don't know whether that will change under the Microsoft um, realm, you know, but um, but certainly at the time I was still developing the product, that was very much the case.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. And so after all this trial and error, you initially created those 100 units and you Mm. sold a lot of them to the States. So you created a website to advertise some of this or what was your strategy in releasing this to the market?
2: My route to market was uh, online sales. So I went, I had a three pronged uh, approach initially. I went with Amazon, but just in the UK. I went with eBay, but just in the UK and I went with Etsy globally. And actually, of the three, Etsy has done the most for me in terms of reach. I didn't set up a website initially because it was still very much a trial. Mm -hmm. So instead, I was doing things on Twitter, on Instagram, which was great for search engine optimization and things like that. Um, And actually, the images have been very, very powerful um, in terms of, you know, if you were to search like a blank Minecraft box head. Um, You know, the majority of the images in the top 10 would come from me, um, added to which obviously links to my Facebook page, my Etsy shop. And obviously now I do have a website. Um, But um, but most of my sales initially came through Etsy. Um, So and what happened with the American mums, because they were all ladies, uh, is that they bought in bulk for parties and um, and took the majority of my hundred boxes You know, and I sold to Massachusetts, to California, and to Texas, where I believe you're based. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So, yeah, so quite a broad reach within America as well.
1: That's smart using some of the existing audiences that are built into eBay and Etsy. A lot of times, like you said, people rush to create their own website, but there's so much benefit in using someone else's platform that has the traffic that usually will convert at a lot higher rate. You know, Etsy and eBay, people are on there to buy. Exactly. And especially with Etsy, I've noticed a lot of products on Etsy that are starting to push the envelope of what handmade means, or at least what it means to me. But yes. they seem to be doing really
2: well. Yeah, I mean, we we have—I um, don't know whether you have it in the states—we have a website called Not on the High Street, um, which, when it first started, was uh, somewhat similar to Etsy, um, but not quite so crafty. Um, but then, nowhere near mass production either. But it's just swamped and. It's not as searchable because it was one that I considered um, approaching. Etsy's great um, because there are so many other people doing Minecraft-related products unofficially, party bags, and even a lot of the free um, stuff that comes out of Etsy. So with that and the fact that I've got the Minecraft search terms and other websites like Pinterest where I'll pin my own images along with images of other Etsy suppliers that do complementary, then uh, then it works very
1: Wow. One of the most successful things I think that you did was focus on Instagram and putting a lot of the visual images that people were looking for out there so they could lead back to your site. Did you do anything else that was really effective to help drive that traffic?
2: Um, A mixture of things. I mean, it wasn't all online. Obviously, we had Instagram and I do find the images on Twitter are very, very powerful as well, using images and clips on Twitter. Plus, we've got a few things on the YouTube channel. So I think it's a combination of things, just getting your likes and your follows. Um, and um, I've only just started doing some PR around um, around the product, obviously, in the UK. So we're going to feature in a couple of magazines, national magazines, early in the year um, as competition prizes. And um, a few bloggers have been writing about us. And we've got, so far, positive write-ups and positive responses to the product. And Great. That, that's the best thing about it. When people see it, if they know Minecraft, they instantly get what it's about. It doesn't need explanation. And, um, you know, the kids all want one. It's just whether or not mom and dad are prepared to part with the cash.
1: <laughs> right. No, definitely makes sense. As you moved through some of this marketing and you were getting more publicity, I imagine you were getting a little bit more sales. Did you have to scale the manufacturer that you're using, or did you stick with the same manufacturer and they just started cutting you better breaks on the pricing?
2: Well at the moment we've still got the first delivery because there's a few thousand um in in the office. Oh that was the original delivery. There's less at the moment. So we're just seeing how they go, because obviously we've gone from a hundred to you know three hundred times the amount. Sure. Um we had a little nice little peek around Christmas time, um, but they're the individual sales, and I think the focus moving forward will be doing the party packs. Um I don't know what the average spend in America is, but over here. They say the average spend on a party is something about two hundred and seventy pounds for a kid's party um I don't know what that equates to in american dollars um and actually, what we offer um which is fifty five um British pounds as a party pack, is considerably cheaper than getting um you know an entertainer in, and also they serve as quite nice party favours as well. It's something that the kids take home rather than an experience type party where, you know, they might have a few pictures and a few memories, but nothing physical to take back home. So I think that's going to be the focus moving forward and looking at much as we aligned ourselves with the party favour sort of thing online with Etsy, aligning ourselves with the people who specialise in parties and entertainments over here and possibly over in America and pushing maybe for PR in America too.
1: Yeah, you touched on a lot of helpful tips there. So first of all, creating the party packs. I know from my experience selling on Amazon, the margins just aren't there in selling the individual units sometimes. Especially since it takes pretty much the same amount of time to process an order for you know quantity one versus fifteen. Absolutely. And you you know, you were mentioning the cost of parties as well. That's a really good angle to pursue because if you look at it on the surface, you know, some of the people might be thinking, well, I could just kind of create a box on my own. Why would I want to go to market with a product that someone can replicate so easily, but then looking at it from the top down where the market will bear a cost of $300 per party and now you're coming in at way more competitive. You're coming in at less than half that cost. Yes. It's a great marketing tactic, I suppose, because you're offering them an alternative to some of these other things that they're doing. You're not trying to compete with the do-it-yourself crowd. You're competing with the people that take their kids to other places and activities and things like that.
2: Yeah. Well, obviously, the Minecraft theme party is a big thing anyway, so this just ties in well. And one of the things we have on the packaging when we were designing it is, you know, it gets the kids off the consoles to craft and play. Um, And obviously, I think every parent worries about how much screen time their child has, be it a TV, a tablet or a console, you know, whatever gaming they're doing or playing they're doing or watching they're doing. Um, And that's what's great about it, particularly for um, boys, typically between six and eight, who ordinarily would rather um, play around um, with a computer than sit down and colour. When they see the box heads, genuinely, you know, they can stay there. We did we did a festival in the summer uh, over in the UK in, in Surrey, which was like an arts and crafts festival and a music festival. Um, and um, unfortunately, British summer uh, meant that the weather wasn't brilliant. So... We had kids literally around our stall colouring in for the best part of the day, you know, two hours plus. And, and the average kids party lasts about two hours. And I would say that Boxhead is an activity that would comfortably last an hour. And it's, you know, it's it's low octane and it's a totally different mental and physical focus than than gaming, which... um. Incites a slightly different attitude in children speaking from experience with my own
1: (laughs) sure no i could appreciate the opportunity to unplug a lot of our toys for our daughter are all low-tech classic type toys you know wooden toys and things like that just because we we want to keep away from that instant stimulation as much as we can right now
2: Absolutely.
1: congratulations on creating something like that people will rediscover crafts and making things and uh, but they can apply it to something that they already know While you were exploring your audience, did you come across any unique findings or or something that kind of surprised you as you were talking to some of the parents or maybe even some of the kids where you had to modify your approach in marketing and sales?
2: No, I mean, it's such a simple product. There's there's very little scope for modification, really. The only decision I made um, was not to have the eyes cut out. And that's Mm -hmm. part of the crafting process. Um, what I found, um, you are able to buy pre-printed Minecraft box heads, um, but they're absolutely massive. You know, not only do the kids' heads go in, them, their shoulders do as well, and the eyes sit somewhere <laughs> around their chin. They can't see where they're going. So that was a conscious decision in terms of the um, product development. And it also means, obviously, there are four faces um, of the cube um which you can put a face on. Um so if someone wanted to do a complete skin, then they could do all four sides around one Minecraft skin. But if they wanted to have multiple skins, they could and cut the eyes out. So um and that's the only thing that's probably got comments, but not necessarily negative ones. Um, you know, overall, I mean, genuinely very, very lucky that people have been so positive about the co the, the whole concept. But I think that's mainly because it's a very, very simple one. So there's um, limited scope for adaptions and modifications, to be fair.
1: That's really great to hear because I've had a pretty simple product in Amazon now, and I feel that people will always find something to complain about or you know, something that doesn't quite fit what they're looking for. Yeah. How do you handle objections from customers? Because like you said, it wasn't maybe what they were expecting.
2: Well, again, I've been so lucky. I haven't had any negative feedback it's all been positive you know so um i suppose if i I can't imagine what the the negative feedback would be i mean they're very very sturdy boxes as well Mm -hmm. um which again was a conscious decision i could have made them a lot cheaper if they were a lot flimsier Um, and my son needless to say has several in his bedroom he uses them for storage so not just for play and (laughs) they're robust enough for an eight-year-old boy um and they have to be for an eight-year-old boy you know to store his football cards or should I say soccer cards and and what have you in as well as obviously wearing and doing imaginative play um but I suppose it's just it's just the thing You've, you've got to follow your gut to an extent with these things I mean obviously research and um your sales performance need you know either prove you're right or you're wrong um but you can't please everybody I suppose so um as i said before because the product's so simple i can't see how i could really adapt it or what anyone would have an issue with my only reservation when i first went to market is you know at the end of the day i was well aware that i was simply producing a box you know and um there's a lot of uh, you know people who perhaps haven't got huge amounts of money to spend on their children they're just like well we can just get a box from anywhere um but if your kids are as fussy as mine if it's not a perfect cube. Um, it simply won't do. Um, so, you know, I think that that would be the only thing, because actually in terms of the raw materials, it is a very simple thing. But as you know, as someone who's developed a product, actually getting to that point is not without obstacle and certainly not without investment. Um, and so, you know, and I try and keep it my, my price point isn't based around um Profitability as such, I mean, obviously, that's a factor, but affordability as well. Um, And I think if I was to take a proper sort of spreadsheet approach to my investment, I would probably charge it more for them now. And that's my only issue. And I suppose regret isn't the right word. But if I go down the wholesale route, um then i don't think the markup is going to be sufficient at this stage in the business uh for um retailers to take them on because my markup is relatively small so i am a retailer and um would make very little as a wholesaler apart from getting more share of market and and seeing it as a marketing exercise
1: to maybe recap a little bit of what you said it sounds like when you went through your initial pricing exercise you Priced it based on what you thought was fair for the product, uh, given what the consumer is getting, and not necessarily a long-term play on maybe you know if you're going to be using some sort of a distribution network, and there's going to be half, there needs to be a middleman or something that gets a, a cut from that. Is that right?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's very much the way I've gone, and that's, um, I'm I'm working on another product at the moment, which is totally in a different uh, market, different is a clothes clothing one and this has been a, a very valuable learning curve in that regard and and i'm taking a lot more time in the thought process than i did with box heads it was just like oh i'll just do this i'll just do that and i just experimented and went straight ahead i'm going to try and be a bit more business-like about this one and, and only proceed to market if it genuinely looks viable um but again it's i i believe i've found a niche so if if um if it develops any further, I'll obviously be back in touch and let you know all about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that I like that you mentioned was that you experimented with this. I think a lot of people are so afraid to take that plunge because they're afraid of making a mistake. But but really, it's about getting that data back to see if the, some of the decisions that you're making, how they turn out, you wouldn't really have any of that if you didn't just kick off the product. Like you said, I agree. I think people need to dive into it head first and... Uh, sometimes it will work and sometimes it won't, but it, I think it's be an invaluable experience.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, um, they say about all entrepreneurs, whether they're in a, a product industry or a service industry or any other form of business, you know, um, you hear the success stories, but most of them have quite a few failures sort of as their backstories, which is how they learnt and, and how they got successful. Um, I don't think um, many people are overnight successes. Genuinely, it's just we only hear about them overnight.
1: Right, absolutely. You know, are you worried at all about any competitors coming in because as you mentioned before the show, it's not something that you're able to get a patent on and as we talked about now, it's something that's possible to replicate in a, in in a sense that it's not high tech.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, again that that was something I was well aware of from day one. Um and it there is nothing I can do about it but remain philosophical and also hopeful that no one can be bothered. <laughs> that's um, that's the best I can do, really, as far as that's concerned.
1: Well, and I imagine that you're spending a good bit of time on the marketing. And is there anything unique with your customer service or in how you handle orders or something that's a little bit more difficult to replicate?
2: Uh, no, not really, because that would just add to the overall costs. And, you know, and as I mentioned before, the profitability isn't I would say below average for a paper product for a craft product mm-hmm. um so I just try and ship them out nice and quickly, you know um same day um dispatches as, as the the order comes out, and obviously it depends where in the world they're going as to how long they get there and um giving people the options of you know um a speedier delivery should they need it um but again, it's such a simple product, it's such an easy get, and um I really don't think it's a one-off purchase as well. So um very few people are likely to come back. The only potential is if someone buys one for a child and then the child wants a party to include them. But um I don't think it's something that people will con- you know repeat buy. Um and I think that kind of strategy the service strategy is far more important to uh, a customer base that you are nurturing whereas my customer base I need to grow. Um, in terms of numbers of people rather than numbers of transactions, so it's a different model really.
1: very fascinating. Thank you for bringing that up and you know this isn't exactly the first time that you are in business. I think it it would be unfair to say that this was the first venture into entrepreneurship. Can you describe your background a little bit for for people about you know how you got to where you are today with some of your other businesses?
2: Oh, I've done a whole mix of things. I mean, I really started um when I was still at School. I mean, I don't know how it equates to the American school system, but when I was in sort of sixth form, um, doing what we call A-levels, which is the precursor to university degree, um, I used to run my own little raves, um, given my age away now, but uh, it's the age of (laughs) acid house music. And um, I used to do little alcohol-free raves, and and they were in themselves quite profitable little things, and nobody else was doing them local to me at the time. Uh, When I went away to university, um, I really... I love clothes and fashion, less so now I'm a mum. I don't have time to indulge those passions. So I had my own clothes store and we used to buy a a mixture of new sort of designer, London fashion, independent designer clothes and um, and vintage clothes as well and sell those in a little uh, unit that we rented in a um, sort of a a small shopping centre, not as grand as a mall or anything like that which was great fun. I did that um, contemporaneous to studying for my first degree. When I graduated, there was a bit of a financial slump, so um, work was thin on the ground. So I sort of carried on the sort of clothing thing, and I sold clothes, and I made jewellery as well, which I sold in outlets in uh, Covent Garden in London and in Kensington in in London as well. Um, Trying to think what I did after that. I also had an affiliate uh, marketing Website, which was aimed at the uh, education sector, um, and uh, I set up my own PR business um, about seventeen years ago, and I continue to do PR. you know, PR is kind of my my staple, um, which um, funds my other sort of curiosities and indulgences around you know everything else that I do. So that's just a few of the things I've done, you know, um, and like I say, it's, it's all experimentation and I don't consider any of them failures, although some were more financially viable than others, ultimately. Um, but it's not just about the money. And I think if you've got that in in you, um, obviously, the money is very, very nice if you get it as well. But it's, it's just the experience and the experimentation and the adventure you get with just trying out different things um, and, you know, being first to a market is, is quite an exciting thing or doing something different within an established market, you know. So that's that's in summary what I've I've done in the past.
1: Well, and that's obviously helped you a lot with this business, particularly it being focused more on the PR side of things than on the technical product development side of things, I, you know, at least on the surface. You know, it looks like the bigger hurdles are on the marketing
2: sales side. Absolutely. It's just getting known because whenever people hear about the product – they genuinely love it, which is great. Um, but, you know, you just got to make sure they hear about it. And um, and then they're in a position where they want to buy it or recommend to others to buy it. Um, so so that's very much the focus for next year.
1: It seems like right now that you might be fulfilling your own orders. Is that right?
2: Yes, I, I do at the moment because, um, you know, there's peaks and troughs, but it's manageable, unfortunately. Um, and I came off Amazon because it wasn't... Financially worth my while, um, but if you know w- when I reach that point where I'm I'm better known and and perhaps the brand is known independently of obviously um, your sort of generic internet searches, then I think you know I would look at maybe Amazon Prime or you know a, a direct dispatch service. Um, but I've got a little way to go before I I, I fully get there um, because as as you know as an Amazon seller um, that's not cheap.
1: No, no. The, the fees are really prohibitive, especially on the lower priced items that are heavier. So I think it's a good idea to focus on, on the path that you've been going now. So before I let you off, can you give just one tip to everyone that's struggling with their idea? That's looking to take the kind of the next step forward with their product and they don't really, they just need some advice or they need a, you know, a, a bit of momentum to, to get across the next hurdle.
2: Well, I just think, you know, just, Talk to people, try things out, experiment, but obviously don't go silly with it. you know you, you have these people that you know literally put their houses on the line to develop it just look at look at what you can do within a scale that you can manage um, because nobody wants to lose their house over an idea that didn't turn out so well. but there are increasingly ways um, unless your product itself is you know gold plated to produce things relatively cheaply and at a quantity where you can test a market and obviously once those quantities rise your cost per unit go down and and the risk and the exposure just goes down with it um but i would encourage anybody to experiment um but yeah I, like i say i'm i'm doing another product at the moment and i am thinking more seriously about going in at a bigger quantity Um, again. So I probably am going to do a bit more market research this time around.
1: Ruth, thanks again for such great advice. And we hope to have you on the show again. But before that, where can people find you and find Boxhead Craft?
2: Well, we're all over the place, but the website is boxheadcraft.co.uk. But if you Google Boxhead Craft, you'll get links to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, and the Etsy shop, of course.
1: Perfect. Thanks again for coming on the show, Ruth. I really appreciate it.
2: And thank you, too. It's been a pleasure.
1: Here are three of my takeaways that we can apply to our businesses. Number one, selling where your customers are. Ruth was smart to try selling on Etsy, Amazon, and eBay first, since all of those platforms have built-in traffic. People are going to those stores to buy. Amazon, for example, converts 20 to 30% of the people looking at our listings into buyers. This is much easier than trying to send traffic to a brand new domain. As sellers, we pay dearly for that, which is why Ruth tested the other platforms to see what worked best for her pricing model. You can still do this and have a website to reference in your marketing materials. Just send people from your website to buy on the other platforms. There are even apps that will connect your Shopify store to Amazon so the customer never has to leave your site. Number two, focus on the core benefit of your customers. Boxhead Craft doesn't just sell boxheads, they sell arts and crafts time away from technology. This is a big benefit for parents who want to minimize that screen time. She's also selling a party in a box. She makes it easy to get something set up. And three, pricing for direct sales versus wholesale. Ruth created this product as a test and her pricing was set up to sell boxheads directly. Now that she's exploring wholesale orders, there's not much room left for the distributors and retailers cuts. These margins vary a lot by industry, but I've seen a 10% distributor cut and 50% retailer markups depending on many factors like the overall price of the product and how quickly it sells. I like to keep my landed cost or my cost to get the product to me between one-third and one-quarter of the retail price. So a product that will cost $5 to manufacture can sell for anywhere between $15 and $20, taking into costs like advertising and selling. This is a very rough guideline and I suggest adding all the costs yourself depending on your industry. If you have any questions or comments, I've put all the links that we've covered on the show notes posted on theproductstartup.com slash 37. Join me next time as I speak with Farah Qureshi. She designs and makes jewelry in precious materials using ethical silver and gold in the UK. So tune in next week to hear that episode. I've set up a number for you to call with your question, feedback, or pitch. So call 681-321-1115 and let me know what you think of the show or pitch the product startup audience about your product-based business. Please keep your pitch to 30 seconds or about the time that you'd have to talk to someone in an elevator. And don't forget to include that problem that you're solving and the call to action, what you need us, the listeners, to do. Thanks again for joining me today and I'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by MacO Design & Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to makodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Mako Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.